Please be seated. Well done, Amanda. She nailed those names, you know. Good morning, St. Peter's Fireside. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, my hope is that it's a joy for you to be with me, but time will tell. Uh, my name is Richard, and I'm on staff here at St. Peter's. I want to expend, extend a warm welcome to any visitors we've had. I've had the pleasure of meeting several already. Uh, please say hi after the service. Visit the connection table outside if you can. Speaking of visitors, for some reason, my mother and sister are here this morning, and it's my sister's very first time in Canada. Now, I hope we can all give these lovely Americans a flavor of Canada. You know, our beautiful landscapes, incredible wildlife, polite people, hockey obsession, maple syrup, beavers and moose, and passive aggressiveness. <laughs> now, we have just entered what the church calls ordinary time. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> right? Ordinary. But today is anything but ordinary. Six people are being ordained this evening at St. John's, Vancouver, and we hope to see many of you there. Who knows? I might even show up. <laughs> and speaking of not ordinary, we look at Paul's brief letter to Philemon this morning, Paul's shortest letter. Now, I've been told that we've never heard a sermon on this letter here at St. Peter's Fireside, ever. You know, and why not? Rob gets to preach about money last month, and I get to preach on slavery. You know, <laughs> see, not ordinary. So let's kick off ordinary time with a not-so-ordinary passage. This morning, we'll look at Paul's brief letter to Philemon, and we'll focus on three things. The story, Paul and slavery, and the moral of the story. But first, why don't we pray? Oh Lord, we ask that the Spirit power us towards unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep us from the idols that divide us, that we may focus on your kingdom. Amen. Now, there are three characters in this story. You wouldn't know it because Amanda mentioned maybe eight or ten names. But there are really three characters in the story here. Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Paul is an apostle of Christ. He was a former Jewish leader who led persecutions of Christians. He had a powerful encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus in Syria. He then founded churches and ministered to Gentiles, scandalous, which it was at the time. You know, Gentiles, non-Jewish people. He wrote a number of letters to these churches, and these make up a big chunk of what we call the New Testament. Philemon is one of those letters, though he wrote this one to a particular individual and not a church. It's important to remember that Paul was in prison when he was, wrote the letter to Philemon. I'm sure you picked that up during the reading. Now, Philemon is the recipient of this letter. We know that Philemon is a follower of Christ and that he owns slaves, which means he was the head of an ancient household. Now, I don't have the time to get into it, but the name Philemon, does anyone know where that comes from? Not even Paul Tresco. I thought you, I thought you did your degree in classics, my friend. The name Philemon comes from Greek myth. Uh, now, the myth is a fascinating story about showing hospitality to the outsider, and it ends in a similar way to Sodom and Gomorrah's story. If interested, 
I encourage a Google search. Don't ask me after the service, because I won't remember most of it. But it is a fascinating story. Now, there's one final character to our story, a very important one, Onesimus. Not the easiest name to say for us, Onesimus. This young man is a slave, and not just any slave, a runaway slave. He ran away from Philemon and ran to Paul. In verse 18, it's implied that Onesimus stole from Philemon on his way out the door. Now, this was common for runaway slaves in the ancient world because a life of destitution was basically awaiting them. So they would basically, it was kind of known if a slave was to run away, they were probably going to take some of the owner's stuff with them. So these are the characters. But before we move into the moral of the story, I want to briefly discuss Paul and slavery. Now, there are three or four passages in Paul where he requires slaves to obey their earthly masters. But before we go canceling Paul, some context. Slavery was a sad staple of the ancient world, but it was a staple. Now, some slaves enjoyed pretty good living conditions as important members of households. Many, however, suffered abuse and exploitation, and this was especially true of women and children. It was also not uncommon for slaves to be freed. That's kind of helpful in the context here of this story. So a few more points about Paul and slavery. First, abolishing slavery in the ancient world would have been unimaginable. It was built into the very fabric and the very system of ancient society, which doesn't mean it's right, just saying. Second, in three passages, Paul advocates kind treatment of slaves by their masters. Eventually, Paul thinks, this should lead to making the slave a freed man or freed woman. Third, in one passage, Paul urges slaves to seek their freedom if able. Fourth, Paul includes slave trading on his list of immoral activities. Paul's not a lover of slavery. You're a slave trader, you're immoral. Okay? Fifth, Paul envisions a radical change in the master-slave dynamic, which is what the letter to Philemon is about and what I'll be focusing on for the rest of the sermon. A radical change in the master-slave dynamic. So, Paul was not a slave abolitionist, but the ethics of slave abolition, slave abolition, is unimaginable without Paul. Paul's ethics lays the groundwork for the end of slavery. And this is not just a common view among Christian scholars, but among many scholars. Paul's ethics lays the groundwork for the eventual end of slavery. It's not really over, but we'll talk about that later in the sermon. And all of this, my friends, takes us to the letter to Philemon. Now, I'm going to focus on verses 8 to 22. In verses 8 to 10, we read this. Though I am bold, this is Paul, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in prison. Paul is saying, look, Philemon, I could just command you, but I'm going to appeal to you instead. Paul, I mean, because Philemon, by the way, it's important to know, Philemon and Onesimus are both Christians. We have a Christian master and a Christian slave. Okay? 
Now, Paul could have dropped the I'm an apostle of God card, but instead he played the out of brotherly love card. Now, I think we can learn from Paul's posture here. In verses 12 to 14, we read that Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. But it's implied that Philemon will then send him back to Paul. Here's what Paul says. I'm sending him back to you. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. See what Paul's doing there? Oh, it's your slave, so you're the one helping. You're on his, he's, but through him, you're helping me here in prison too. Might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Paul's kind of buttering on Philemon up a little, isn't he? He's, he's, he's you know. Paul wants Onesimus with him, but is sending him back to Philemon. Again, Paul could simply command Philemon to let Onesimus stay with him. But the reason he's sending him back to his master is very important, and it lies in stark contrast to ancient custom. The Roman senator and jurist, Pliny the Younger, wrote a letter to a friend in it, he asked his friend to take back a runaway slave who came to Pliny. It's clear in the letter that Pliny does not especially care for the slave. If anything, the slave kind of he feels embarrassed by him. He's like, he's, he's, I read the letter. Pliny's like, he's crying, he's sobbing, he feels really bad. I mean, this is my modern interpretation. He's, he, Pliny had a much kind of greater command of his language. Um, but he's basically saying, you know, this is really embarrassing. Like, like come on now, just take him back. Right, Because ultimately, for Pliny, the letter is about keeping the peace. That's what he wants. Just take him back so everything's okay. okay. In other words, Pliny's letter is about keeping traditional social situations in place. But Paul's letter to Philemon is not like this. And we get to the heart of the letter in verses 15 and 16. This is the heart of the letter. For this, perhaps, is why we parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but much more to you, Philemon, both in the flesh and in the Lord." In Paul's letter to Philemon, Paul is expressing a radical truth. We are to practice Christian unity across traditional boundaries. We're to practice Christian unity across traditional boundaries. That's going to be the heart of the sermon the rest of the way. Here, the traditional boundaries are master and slave. Other traditional boundaries include race, ethnicity, sex, economic class, much more. Pliny is wrong. He wants to say, send the slave back to preserve traditional boundaries. Just take the slave back and we can all go back to the world as we know it. Paul is sending Onesimus back to change the nature of traditional boundaries. To change the nature of traditional boundaries. 
And we see this theme of unity in um, Paul, other of Paul's letters. In Galatians, Jew and Greek should be unified in Christ. There's neither slave nor Greek, nor, Jew, nor male nor female, et cetera, et cetera. In Philippians, part of the whole, which we just heard a sermon series on, one of the themes is that the church should be unified in Christ even in a pagan and imperial context. Unified. Paul is giving us a new picture of koinonia, or fellowship. In other words, the Christian community should do things differently. That's what Paul is telling Philemon. Paul is appealing to Philemon to put Christian unity first in his relationship with Onesimus, which at the time, that's a radical, radical proposition. He's asking the slave owner to put his Christian unity first in his relationship with Onesimus, first a brother in Christ before, the, before there's anything to do with their master-slave relationship. So here's what that, what, is, what does Paul mean? What does this look like? Paul, <coughs> excuse me, Paul asks Philemon to accept Onesimus back and not punish him. He asks the master to receive the slave as if he were Paul himself. Did you catch that? It's like, it's like, it's like I'm coming back. Treat him as you would me. Onesimus is a reconciled brother in Christ, though still a slave. Paul then asks if Philemon can send Onesimus back to him. And Paul implies that in sending Onesimus back, he will gain his freedom. Here we see Paul seeking to transform how Philemon and his slave see the world. He wants to change their thought forms from pagan to Christian. They are to enter the story of Scripture, the story of Christ, the God-man who redeems all, no matter your social rank or position. Paul's vision of the church is one of reconciliation, fellowship, and mutual aid. We forgive each other. We commune and break bread together. And we care for each other when there is need. The church should be a place where clergy should be determined by love, devotion, and spiritual and intellectual gifts. They should not be chosen on social status or grouping. Boy, has that hit home recently. In other words, Christ's kingdom subverts the social dynamics of the ancient world. And my friends, it subverts, subverts ours as well. We live in an, in an age of intense division and fragmentation, don't we? It's kind of the story of the era. There's little togetherness and unity. But if we're true to Paul's vision, the church would be unified. Sadly, we are just as divided as the rest of society, sometimes worse. Black against white, men against women, rich against poor, young against old, conservatives against liberals, against social democrats. The list goes on. Sadly, the church itself is violating Paul's vision for her. Our identity as Christians should be number one. Number one. And this has consequences. It means we cannot bless bombs meant to fall on lands where there are other Christians. Christians killing Christians. There's a country I could call out right now, but I'll leave it for you. 
It means rich Christians have equal standing with poor Christians in the community. Equal. That's koinonia. It's fellowship. It means Christians who vote for the political party you hate have equal standing with you in the community. And I know this congregation well enough to know that we have a very diverse political group in here. Okay? So be careful what you say or think. Or don't make assumptions. Now, I want to close by exploring a line of thought that runs very deep in our faith. I say I want to close. It will still be another 20 or 30 minutes. Okay, I'm joking, 40. I first discovered it in a book uh, called Being Human by Rowan Williams. So we might ask the question, why does God grant Onesimus equal standing with Philemon? Why? What's at the root of all this? Friends, we are related to God before we are related to anything or anyone else. In other words, our fundamental relationship is with God. And not just me and you, but everyone. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. Now, it's important to know some of us turn towards this relationship with God, and unfortunately, some of us turn our backs on God. But God has a relationship with everyone. Now, turn to the person on your left. Go ahead. Turn to the person on your left. God has a relationship with them. Turn to the person on the right. God has a relationship with them. The kids in kids' church, God has a relationship with them. The little ones in the nursery, God already has a relationship with them. The beggar on the street, God has a relationship with them. The opioid addict who's almost completely bent over while standing, God has a relationship with them. Our fundamental relationship is to God. And this has important consequences. It means we can never fully master and control others. It means we can never fully master and control others. We all have a dignity and worth that cannot be given or taken away. Not really. Our worth does not depend on how useful we are to others. I want to say that again because that is very deep in our culture. Our worth does not depend on how useful we are to others. That person, their worth does not depend on how useful they are to you or to me. They already have worth, and they've always had worth. And this includes a poor, runaway slave like Onesimus. Freedom and control are, I think, the two words that most define our era. We, especially in the West, we want unlimited choice. We want to be able to walk into rain or shine and have 50 different choices of ice cream. Some of you know this is a pet peeve. Just choose one. It's ice cream. It's going to be good. <laughs> right? Like, just, and if, it, and if it's not to your liking, get the one you want next time. We want unlimited choice. But because we're sinners, we need to control the consequences of our free actions. We have all this freedom, but then we mess up, and then bad things happen. So then we seek to control it. Freedom and control, okay? They're, they're kind of meshed together. We use technology these days for that purpose, to, to control. 
Other people become things for us to control so they don't impinge on my God-given right to do whatever the hell I want, even if it leads to my own personal hell and the hell of those around me. Friends, this is not God's vision for us. God is the giver of freedom in him. Our relationship, our fundamental relationship is with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But we often use traditional boundaries of race, sex, and class to control who is in and who is out. But my friends, this is not for us to decide. This is one of the main themes of Jesus' teachings and Paul's letters, and it's the main theme of Philemon. No longer a slave, but a beloved brother. No longer a slave, but a beloved brother. Onesimus and Philemon have the same status in God's eyes. But this doesn't just mean they are spiritual equals. It's better than that. Paul is telling us that they have equal worth and equal value, period. Not just spiritually, period. And that means our slave societies need to change. It means we have to fight to end slavery wherever we find it. And we find it still today in shocking numbers. I believe there's still 60 to 70 million slaves in the world. I actually might be underplaying it. So we have here in Paul and in his letter to Philemon, we actually have the roots of freedom and emancipation. They're found in the fact that we are made in God's image, that each of us has a fundamental relationship with God that no one else can touch, no one else can master, no one else can manipulate, no one else can control. Each of us has worth and value. Think of Diedrich Bonhoeffer in the the, uh, concentration camps how massive amount of control the Nazis would have had on them. They can't control his relationship with God, much as they want. They can't touch it. They couldn't touch it. Friends, I'm asking each of us, myself included, to practice unity. Because we're all equal in the eyes of God, right? We need to practice unity. And I know it's hard because people are hard, aren't we? We can be real tough on each other. We have differing opinions on things, politics, worship music style. You know, some of us in here really enjoy chant, like medieval Gregorian chant. Do you know that? <laughs> I'm just saying, there's a lot of opinion. Sermon length. Some of you are, Richard, you're already going too long. Some of you are like, I want more. Who the next lead pastor of a church should be. We have temperament and personality differences. I just don't click with that person. Fine. It's okay. We, and I mean all of us, have fears and insecurities, and these come out a lot with others, don't they? Am I worthy or will I be rejected? But we're called to unity despite all of this because we have a relationship with God that cannot be controlled or touched by anyone else. It can't be controlled because of our race or sex or economic class or political opinions or temperaments. We are called to turn our face towards the God who first loved us. And we're called to love and support and encourage, sometimes in difficult ways, 
those who've turned their back on God. As I invite Kelsey up, I want us to remember, Paul is giving us a vision of the kingdom community. This community, at the end of the day, is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he did and continues to do. Who he is, what, did he, what he did, and what he continues to do. This vision is one where traditional social boundaries don't matter for Christian unity. This is the vision Paul is showing Philemon. And my friends, it's the vision he's showing us to live out in this church, under you know, this bunker, under the ground, in a theater, on a campus in downtown Vancouver, today and moving forward. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.